0: Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4. You get time when something triggers a song in your head and you can't get it out. Uh, Like when I read uh, Mike Whitmer's book, Don't Stop Believing. It's just there, right, in your head. And as I was reading uh, this this week, and uh, this word authority just kept coming to my mind, and so that had John Cougar, um, I fight authority, authority always wins in my head all week, and, um, and I kind of laughed to myself, I was thinking about this passage, and I'm like, this would have been a great theme song for the religious leaders uh, during the first century here in, in Jerusalem, uh, they kept fighting God's authority, and they kept losing, right, the whole crucifixion thing didn't end real well. Uh, for them. The resurrection kind of made them look bad. And then after that, they have to deal with the followers of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as you're going to see here in Acts 4, that didn't go real well for them either. So they kept fighting against the authority of God, and obviously the authority of God always wins. And, uh, And that's where these people kept finding Themselves, so I want to look here at Acts four, and I want these two words to kind of be in our mind this week. This, uh, kind of the themes that jumped out to me: authority and boldness. And as we're going to see, I think the two things are connected. So I want to pick up here in Acts chapter four, and remember, this is uh, this continues to flow through uh, the events that started with the healing of the lame man when Peter and John were on their way to, to prayer in the temple. And uh, you have Peter's, uh, the, the healing of, of the lame man, uh, the excitement there in the temple, Peter's sermon. And uh, so this is all playing out now over the course of several hours. So I'm going to pick up here in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And as they, and this is Peter and John, as Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem... With Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, or by what name, did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to do to say an opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the boldness of Peter and John here in Acts 4. Thank you for the gift and presence of your Holy Spirit. Help us to learn from this passage today, God. From your truth, may that same Spirit... Take your word today and impress it on our hearts. God, I have nothing to say, my own words, God. You take your words, these written words from these pages, and do your work through your spirit to instruct us, edify us, convict us, whatever is needed, God, that the church of Jesus Christ would be built up today to go be the church in the world for the glory of Jesus Christ and the advancement of the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So you, you all know me well enough now that I, I love history, and I love World War II history. And uh, in particular, I've always been fascinated by the 101st Airborne. Um, Known as the Band of Brothers, and I think probably particularly uh, related is because the the, kind of the link my grandfather um, indirectly has to to them uh, landing on Normandy and uh, the work that Dick Winters and the 101st Airborne did there uh, with the the, the permanent gun emplacements and such the Germans had. And uh, I've always just wondered if those guys hadn't done their jobs. Um, how likely would my grandfather's survival on Normandy had been as he was part of that invasion on that beachhead. And uh, so I've always kind of been fascinated by these guys. And uh, some of their stories here uh, are, have become probably legendary. But um, one in particular um, uh, thing that they were involved in was the, uh, the the Siege of Bastogne. And they were there in December and January of uh, 1944 into 45. And they were uh, in bad shape. They went in without their winter gear. Uh, they were ill-equipped, and it was brutally cold. Uh, the weather was against them, and uh, they were surrounded by the German forces. And uh, they were given the opportunity to surrender. And I want to read this to you. On Christmas Eve, uh, a general communicated uh, in, to the men in, uh the 101st Airborne there in Bastogne. Uh, On the afternoon of Christmas Eve, the men received General McAuliffe's Christmas greeting. What's merry about all of this, you ask, was the opening line. Just this, you have stopped cold everything that has been thrown at you, from the north, the east, the south, and the west. We have identifications from four German panzer divisions, two German infantry divisions, and one German parachute division. The Germans surround us. Their radios blare our doom. Their commander has demanded our surrender in the following impudent arrogance. (laughs) And here he's relating the message from the German commander. To the USA commander of the encircled town of Bastogne, from the German commander, demanding an honorable surrender to save the encircled USA troops from total annihilation, December 22, 1944. McAuliffe's message continued, and he relates to the troops his reply. The German commander received the following reply, 22nd of December 1944, to the German commander in capital letters, exclamation point, nuts, signed the American commander. In other words, we refuse. Take your best shot at us. The siege was broken. They actually succeeded in holding them off. And this was written uh, about them a, a little bit later in the book I was reading on them talks about after they had um, succeeded in holding off the Germans and breaking the siege, uh, the, the, the American press began to find out what, ha- found out what happened there. And it says this, The elements of drama were all there. Courage in the midst of surrounding panic and defeat. Courage and grim humor in the midst of physical suffering. Cold and near-fatal shortages. A surrender demand and a four-letter word rebuttal. And real comradeship. Courage and comradeship combined to develop a team that the Germans couldn't whip. A lot of Peter and John here. And in essence, <laughs> that was them. Stop talking about Jesus. Nuts. <laughs> we refuse. No way. Why? Our authority is not of this world. Right? Boldness And authority. And when we recognize Jesus as our ultimate authority, we will be emboldened to bear witness to Him in spite of the pressures against us in the world and culture that we live in. So here are some takeaways from this passage boldness, authority. Number one, we as the church of Jesus Christ just need to accept this truth. The message of Jesus will greatly annoy the world. I love how it's put here in the passage. The sad is they came to him in verse 2. Greatly annoyed, right? We need to accept this. We cannot attempt to find ways to water down the gospel or look for ways to make it less offensive. By its nature, it is offensive and it will greatly annoy Accept that. Don't try to soften the message of repentance. Don't try to soften the reality of our sin. Don't try to soften the reality of eternal punishment separated from God in hell. That doesn't go over real well. Let's try to make it sound a little gentler. You're doing a disservice and preaching a false gospel if you do that. The gospel will annoy Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Right? So in the scene here, you have the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees. And it says, they came upon them as they were speaking to the people. This is confrontational. These men have hostile intentions, Okay? These are the authority figures who were responsible for the temple and what went on there. The captain of the guard was the one in charge of the temple of police, behind, uh, the temple police. Behind the uh, high priest himself, he was probably the second most powerful man in the temple. This is, again, where all the power, all the authority lie. Right? The Sadducees, these were uh, the rich, wealthy class, loyal to Rome, cooperative with Rome, more concerned about self-preservation and protecting their status, That's where the high priests come from them. they're Very pragmatic, not as devoted to the Torah as the Pharisees were, right? So these are the movers and shakers. These are the powerful people. They were the ones who were greatly annoyed Because Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. There's several reasons for their annoyance. One, theologically, the Sadducees are going to have a problem with this whole resurrection of the dead thing. They didn't believe in that. So the proclamation of Jesus raising from the dead was a theological problem for the Sadducees. Beyond that, teaching that the miracle was done through Jesus of Nazareth, implies that these powerful, authoritative religious leaders had made a serious mistake. And calling that into question would not have gone over well, as you can imagine, right? This would be like some advisor today of Vladimir Putin going public saying this whole Ukraine war was a big mistake. I guarantee that man would not have a job, possibly even a life, the next morning, right? Right? You don't call that authority figure into question. You didn't do it here either. All right? Through their preaching, now, these authority figures, their power, their leadership, their position, they're all being threatened. You look back in John chapter 11, remember the conversations when Jesus was being crucified and uh, these conversations about Jesus being a problem? And one of the statements that's made is that, you know, what's Rome going to do about this if we let this guy continue on? They're very concerned about protecting their position and placating Rome. There's a couple things that jumped out to me uh, right away that convicted me. I thought about the Sadducees, right? It's easy to look at them and go, like, idiots. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's a problem. But I I thought to myself, you know, how, how often do I work really hard to maintain my relationship with the world? How often do we downplay our faith or the preeminence of Christ in order to protect our standing? Probably more than we'd like to admit. Well, if I take a strong stance on this or make a strong statement about Jesus at work, I, I may lose my job or if I, if I mention Jesus or talk about my faith or what I believe at school, I may have a teacher get on me or I may have friends who, who kind of make fun of me. My, my position, my status at school, my image might take a hit. Right? We kind of do the same thing. Protecting our image, our position, our standing in the world. Another thing I kind of already alluded to this, just to take away from this, is this. Calling into question current worldly powers and popular cultural messages, it will never go over well. And we have to, again, accept that and be okay with that. I do think it's instructive to note here that it was the message that was annoying. Right? It was the message We need to be careful about this ourselves. We need to guard the way we act as Christians. Sometimes we as Christians can act in such a way as we bring the offense through our actions. And we cannot do that. We can't be jerks about our faith. We can't allow the way we conduct ourselves to be a hindrance to the gospel. I want to be careful that my actions and the way I conduct myself isn't an annoyance. Now, if I truthfully and boldly proclaim the true gospel and the reality of Jesus Christ and that annoys, so be it. That's okay. But learn from that as well. Conduct ourselves in such a way. Allow the message to be offensive, not our actions, right? So Peter and John are arrested. They're jailed overnights to wait for a hearing in the morning. Remember, we said this all started at 3 in the afternoon and now it's playing out over the course of several hours and it gets to a point, this is late enough in the day, where they're like, we're just going to wait until morning. So they put them in jail. And in this moment, the seeds of persecution are sown. The persecution that's going to begin to unfold, that the church is going to face in the chapters to come in Acts, this is the first time now where the church, the followers of Jesus Christ, are now facing action for their stance and their faith. But note what happens. 5,000 men still come to Christ that this attempt to silence that this beginning persecution this pressure from the outside failed to stop the spread of the gospel and the growth of the early church and most of the commentators said it most likely the number was bigger that it probably truly does refer to 5000 men so beyond that we don't know right the unstoppable nature of the gospel so why were they able to boldly proclaim? The Spirit of God. The Spirit will empower us, Jesus' followers, to bear witness to the gospel. So for the second time, we're given a little bit of a list here of the power brokers, the authority figures who are there. Starting in verse 5, Annas, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander. Caiaphas was Annas's. Um, 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 son-in-law, I believe, if I remember it correctly. And Annas was kind of the, um, the figurehead. He had been the high priest. Caiaphas was the acting high priest. You have these other guys, John and Alexander. We know little about them. You have the whole uh, the priestly family. Uh, you have the elders, the leaders of Israel. You have the scribes who are the experts in the law. Pharisees and Sadducees would have all been included here. Right? This was a gathering of the Sanhedrin. And I think it's significant to know that this was mostly the group That oversaw the crucifixion of Jesus. So worldly authority is represented here in full power. And here in verse 7 now you have Peter and John, possibly even the healed layman himself. The language implied that he he very well could have been jailed with them and been part of this whole thing. But at the very least you have James and John now standing in the middle. In the midst of them. They're on the spot. The Sanhedrin was kind of arranged in this semicircular thing, and so they're all sitting there looking, and they're right there in the middle of them. The same spot, by the way, where Jesus had stood weeks earlier. Peter and John knew where they were. They knew where they were. They knew what they were facing. I find it interesting, and I'm wondering, this is speculating, but if you go on in this passage, we'll see this in a minute. Peter quotes from Psalm 118 here in just a moment about the cornerstone. It's from Psalm 118, one of the most widely quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. It's psalm 118. If you go back a few verses before the cornerstone statement in Psalm 118, you read this, and I'm wondering if this psalm was in Peter's mind. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. I was pushed hard. This is some of the terminology from Psalm 118. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I, love, I find it ironic that he quotes from Psalm 118, and, and this is in that same psalm. And this is exactly what Peter and John are doing. Now, it's not the nation of Israel surrounded by their enemies. Ironically, it's these followers of Jesus Christ surrounded by the nation of Israel who are now put themselves as the enemies of God. And Peter and John are taking the same stance. We're surrounded by these people who hate Jesus, and we cut them off. We do not submit to them. Church, brothers and sisters, we too can find our courage and comfort in the truth of this psalm. We have a God who stands with us. And no matter how oppressed we feel, the darkness closing in on us, the enemies of the gospel standing around us, we can say with confidence, I am a child of God. This is the true gospel. And I cut that off. I don't bow to that. What I love about this scene is considering uh, who's present here. If Caiaphas and all these rulers, the captain, remember it was just a few weeks earlier, not standing in the midst of the Sanhedrin, but standing in Caiaphas's front yard or courtyard, this same man, Peter, confronted by a slave girl, a servant girl, aren't you one of the ones who follow Jesus? And this Peter says, no, I don't know the man. Now, He's standing before Caiaphas. He's standing before the captain. I'm guessing, again, this is speculative, I'm guessing that captain was there the night of the arrest of Jesus when Peter sliced off a guy's ear and then took off running with the rest of the disciples like a scared little child. These are the same people. Peter wouldn't stand before a servant girl. Now he's before them. It's different this time, isn't it? Aren't you thankful for a God who gives second chances? How cool is this, right? They ask this question in verse 7. By what power or name? Here's the crux of the issue, right? Authority. This is a menacing question. Implied in this question is this. We are the authority... And we did not give you permission to do this. By what power, by what right do you speak? See, they were centered on their own authority. Peter, as we already saw early in chapter 3, has already indicated that his power, his authority doesn't lie in himself. His authority is external. Jesus is responsible. So again, church, we take so much encouragement from this. Jesus is uh, the authority, the one who authorizes us to speak. It's not our authority. So when it comes to proclaiming truth, we don't answer to anyone in regard to the content of the gospel. We respect authority and seek to do the right things the right way, but the message of the gospel is not subject to censorship from worldly authority because we preach under an external authority. Like Jesus and his response to Pilate, we say our kingdom is not of this world. So this authority comes from Jesus and gives me confidence and boldness. And if the world doesn't give me the permission to speak the gospel, oh well. Right? Why is he able to do it? Filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And this is crucial. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Spirit. So if the authority of Jesus gives me the reason and motivation to speak, the Spirit gives me the means and the power and the ability to speak. Think back to Jesus' conversations with his disciples and his promises. I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send the Spirit. I'm going to send a helper, right? Think back to Luke chapter 12. And when they, he's talking to his disciples, when they bring you... The disciples before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. A little bit later, he goes on and says, But before all of this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand on how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Sound familiar? You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Right? That's exactly what unfolded here. I will give you what to say, and they're not going to be able to respond. We just read this. Peter and John answer, and they're like, we don't know what to say. <laughs> That's the promise, church. Jesus doesn't leave us hanging out to dry, does he? Look at their response. Their response is so instructive. I, I think one thing that's noticeable in the response is this they do address the rulers respectfully. In verse 8, rulers of the people and elders, it's a respectful address. The guy would have been tempted. I'm reading it going. I'd like, have been like, hey, idiots! <laughs> you know? Rulers, elders of the people, they. Address them respectfully. And Peter actually seemed to have a good handle on this. You look in first Peter three, verse fifteen, he says, Be prepared to answer everyone who asks you reason for your faith, but do it with gentleness and respect. He lived that out here. He modeled that well here. That's instructive for our gospel witness. I remember we uh, John has a little like rocky balboa type workout area in, in, in his gym, in his garage. One of the things that's been cool about that is um, n- his neighbors just come over, especially during COVID when none of the gyms and weight rooms are open, and, and uh, so we just open the garage door and pull out. And, but I learned something, really. John has done a great job with this. A lot of his neighbors, these guys would come over, and not believers, don't agree with him. but super smart guys. And, and just watching, uh, John navigates skillfully, just respectful conversation. You know, and kind of be like, dude, you know, you're, <laughs> you're totally out to lunch on that one, man. You know, and kind of laughing about But able to do that because they had had this, this relationship and respect and mutual respect and, and listening and, and caring. And I'm like, ah, that's, that's how to do it right there. And, and, and what that gave is more opportunities to share the gospel and expose them to that truth over the peri- uh, period of time. That's, that's what we need to do, right? So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Going back here, we're filled with the Spirit. We speak with the Spirit's power. It gives us the words. Speak respectfully. Speak boldly. God will give us what we need. I remember, and, and this isn't done as much anymore, probably a good thing, but uh, back when I was growing up, street preaching in, in New England that was a big thing. And I remember our, our pastor, he, he was part of this ministry and, and did this open-air evangelism thing. And it was that really pretty effective there in, in Boston mainly, sometimes in Providence. But um, I remember one time I was like 11th grade. And he's like, Craig, I'm going to take you. You're going you're gonna to preach in Boston today. I'm like, ugh. You know, and my mom and dad are like, yeah, it's a great idea. Go. And I'm like, I don't want to. You know? And I remember standing there on, uh, on the street corner, Boston Boston Common, right across from Cheers. And uh, I'm not kidding. It was right across from tears. And, um, and he's like, all right, your turn. And I stepped out. And I'm like, I don't know. He's like, dude, just preach the gospel, man. Just preach the guide. Some stuff written down. And eyes open my mouth. And I was like, here we go. And just started speaking the, the scriptures. And people stopped and listened. And I, and I learned a real valuable lesson that day. that God gives us what we need gives us boldness. I didn't have boldness. I was scared to death. Um, but as I finished, I was like, huh, oh, that's pretty cool, actually. Some conversations with some people. God does that. He gives us what we need. Again, we've talked about this. Those opportunities. Those occasions. We see that. Once again, we've emphasized this the past couple weeks. Verse 9 through 11. Peter uses another occasion now. Right? Jesus had said this. You're going to stand before these rulers and these governors and the kings. This isn't a squashing of the gospel. What does he say? This is your opportunity to share. So again, right, we've emphasized this. We need to seize the opportunity. So Peter says that he seizes it again. Now he's standing before all the rulers, and he doesn't cower in fear. Then he goes, hey, let it be known to all of you. And he proclaims. I was really encouraged this week. I got an email from Melinda Balma. And um, she was at uh, Panera this week and just felt God speaking in her heart. And uh, uh, long story short, I'll let her share the story sometime, but she w- uh, was going to leave and she saw this, this, this lady there and, and just felt God impressing on her heart to go talk to her. And she's like, I, I was going to leave and, and I know I couldn't. And I went back and, and I talked to her. And uh, Jake was there and he had an opportunity to, to talk to her about Jesus. She goes, I just you just, just to know, like, I've, I've been processing some of this stuff from Acts, and the opportunity was there, and I, I saw someone who just looked like they needed a friend and needed, needed, needed Christ, and, and I did it. I'm like, that, that's it. It's, it's not rocket science. It's not hard. God puts people in our path all the time. We just have to listen and take advantage of the opportunity. And listen, I've blown my share of these. I was at Walgreens not too long ago. And I' going to the pharmacy to pick something up, and um, I walked in, and there was this gentleman um, walking real slow. I walked in, I could already see him up ahead of me, and um, I don't know if I heard him say, I don't know. I, maybe I heard him ask he's where the pharmacy was, and super slow walking in and struggling to walk. And the only thing in my mind was like, how can I cut through the aisles so I can beat him to the pharmacy desk, because I need to get there first, because he's really slow. And I did. I beat him there. And I'm standing in line and I could hear him coming up behind me, you know, and and walk in. And I'm like, and then I start feeling like, what a jerk, (laughs) you know. And so I'm standing there and um, I'm like, all right, I'm going to let this guy go ahead of me. Here's the thing. I was wearing this big old Ohio State sweatshirt. And he had on a big old U of M jacket and I turn around, and I say to him, hey, sir, I said, listen, once you know, do you, you come ahead of me? That I mean, way you can, you know, sit down and get off. And he's like, oh, thanks, man. And I made this statement. I said, hey, I said, you know, don't ever say that Ohio State fans aren't cool, you know, and I, you know Ohio State fans and Michigan fans can't get along, you know, and he's like laughing. And this lady stands, she's like, oh, you've restored my faith in humanity, you know, and I'm like, you know, like, ah, yeah, cool, you know, and so I, He got his stuff. I got my stuff. I went out to the car. I felt like God kicked me in the chest. You idiot. You did a great job talking about a college football team. I'm like, why didn't I say I'm doing this in the name of Jesus? Opportunity. I was so annoyed with myself. Wasted an opportunity. And I talked about something stupid and insignificant in light of where I could have pointed this man. Right? So we've all done that. Missed opportunities. We need to seize those. We need to seize those. I love it. Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth. Very specific We need to be specific in our presentations of the gospel. Jesus of Nazareth. Let's just not get it wrong here in case there's any mistaking who we're talking about. Jesus of Nazareth. There needs to be a specificity to our gospel message too, doesn't there? Sometimes it's like, oh, if we talk in general terms, maybe it won't be as offensive or whatever. Nope. Specific. Jesus. If that name bothers you, so be it. It bothered these guys, but i got to proclaim it. He goes on and he levels the same accusations at these leaders as he has already in his sermon. We've kind of talked about these themes already. right? This Jesus that you crucified is the cornerstone. God has validated him. God has vindicated him. Now he's talking to the leaders. You're the ones who did this. The ones primarily responsible. And he goes in now and he quotes Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected. You're the builders, the teachers, the, the leaders of Israel. You're the builders, and you have rejected the cornerstone. A builder could do that back then. The cornerstone was the piece. It would come in, and that uh, was the most important part. And that would be laid, and then the rest of the building and the direction of the building, everything would be based off that cornerstone. And a, and a builder could reject it. It's cotton properly. It's too small. It's this, this, and it's useless and whatever. And that, that's kind of the way that Jesus was viewed. He's useless. We reject him. Peter adds a couple things here to to the quote as it's used in other places in the New Testament. Peter kind of contextualizes a little bit. He adds this little jab. Rejected by all of you. Points right to them. You leaders, you builders. Emphasizing their responsibility. And he uses a strong word here for despise. It means to disdain or reject with contempt. To consider it worthless and of no value. He's pointing out their deep feelings of contempt for Jesus. You rejected him. You, the builders, the leaders of Israel, hated Jesus and rejected him. Here's the great thing about where he goes with this statement though. fact of the matter is Jesus has become the cornerstone anyway despite your rejection. And he points to what he's pointed to all along. What you have rejected, God has vindicated. What you have scorned, God has valued and elevated. And then he gets to the theological center of this entire narrative in chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation and no one else. Note the exclusivity of this claim. Jesus is unique and exclusive. There's no room for pluralism here. In the Greek construction of this sentence, the phrase, in no one else, comes first in the sentence. It's this point of emphasis. In no one else is salvation. It is Jesus. He stands alone. He's saying, right? One commentator says this, this is a negation of all religious systems and practices that do not lead people to Christ. We reject the pluralism of our culture. So here's the thing. We will boldly proclaim this message of the gospel because the authority of Christ trumps the authority of this world. And verse 13, we can also have the same boldness that they had. When they saw the boldness of these men, this word boldness means courage, confidence, fearlessness, especially in the presence of persons of high rank. One of the lexicons added, sometimes this word implies intimidating circumstances. This boldness is the open and candid speech of free men. Peter and John are living out the ultimate freedom of speech here. They were speaking like free men. Why? Because they were free. They were not under the authority of the religious leaders when it came to this. They ministered. And power and strength. They ministered beyond their abilities. Daryl Bach writes There is no attempt here to seek favor or to take a poll about how popular what they said would be. They boldly proclaim. And listen, this type of boldness it doesn't always come naturally. The great apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 asked the Ephesians, You pray for me, pray for boldness. Here's Paul. Eating boldness. Man, I remember this one time. Uh, my grandfather, you maybe you've heard me talk about him before. To the best of my knowledge, not a believer. <laughs> he died without Christ. I preached at his funeral, and um, none of you have ever met, seen my uncle Rusty. Uncle Rusty, is, you've seen my dad. Uncle Rusty, you wouldn't be able to tell they were brothers. Uncle Rusty is a large, strong, ox of a man and um, not a believer, and I won't use the terminology he used, um, but Southern Ohio, fill in the blanks if you want. Right? He comes up to me before the sermon, and he just looks at me, and he puts his finger in my face. He says, you listen to me. Better not be any of that religious stuff, or I will personally get up and pick you up, toss you out of this funeral home. Like, okay. And he walks away. Ironically, my, my grandfather's best friend was a Pentecostal preacher. We're working together. and King Kelly was his name. And King looks at me, and he's, uh, he's kind of laughing. He goes, Well, <laughs> well, we know what we've got to do anyway, don't we? I, said, I looked at King, I'm like, Well, that's easy for you to say. Uncle Rusty ain't fitting you out the door, you know? But here's the thing just, he prayed with me. I got up. I don't know. Spirit. The Spirit. And my uncle Rusty came up to me afterwards, and he said, "Man, that was that was meaningful, man. Thank you." Uh, <laughs> One me, <laughs> I wasn't going to explain that to him either. But uh, boldness, and when they perceived that they were ordinary, uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They didn't go to GRTS. Compared to the people they were talking to, these guys were fishermen. They didn't. They'd been with Jesus. I want to pick up with this next week. I have the luxury of preaching two weeks in a row on this passage and into the prayer. So I want to pick up some of the ap- other application stuff. But just let me close by saying this: these uneducated, common men. That should serve as a huge encouragement for us. My experience in life has been, it's not the highly educated among us. It's not my own experience. I look back, the people who have impacted my life, simple, faithful people, knew the word of God, spent time with Jesus, and just watching them live out their faith. We can all do that. We can all speak Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be the pastor. I'm bold. I'm an ordinary. That's a great combination. Spencer, come on up. I, I thought of this with the, um, another one of my favorite illustrations I probably use way too many times here, but I, I love the story of the Miracle on Ice, 1980. And as the movie at least tells the story, Herb Brooks, the coach of that team that upset the Soviets there in 1980, this is a great scene. They have the tryouts there in, uh, in, in Colorado, and, um, and they're down, they're up in the press box there, and they're looking down, and all these eva- talent evaluators are up there, and they're watching all these hockey players, and the guys are talking about all oh, this guy's talent, this guy's talent, and uh, they're getting ready to start, and Herb Brooks hands a piece of paper to the head guy and says, I got my team. And they're like, Herb? They're like, you haven't even, he's like, I got my team. And they look down, and they're like, Herb, you're missing like most of the, good, the best players here. And Herb Brooks looks at him, and he says, as he's walking out the door, I'm not looking for the best players. I'm looking for the right players. And he walks out. <laughs> Hockey fans right here. And he walks out, right? That's, that's this. I'm not the best. Okay. God's looking for the right ones. You, church, if you're born again, empowered by the Holy Spirit, you have the word of God, you're the right ones. Boldly proclaim the power of the Holy Spirit and what God work. Watch God work. It's not that simple. Ask Melinda. Next Sunday, let's have four or five more people say, "Hey, I took advantage of an opportunity this week. I talked about Jesus."